welcome to Let's Get Weirding. I'm Bo North. And I'm Megan Sunday. And on this show, we're discussing Frank Herbert's Dune series, chapter by chapter. This episode, we're returning to our book discussion with chapter six, and we're joined by the co-host of one of our favorite podcasts, The Cannonball, our fellow Dune enthusiast, Daniel Dottie. Welcome, Daniel. Hey, uh, thank you very much, y'all. Um, uh, have, you, have you guys used the portmanteau Dune enthusiast yet? Um, if not, that's a, that's, that's a free one. Y'all, y'all one with it. <laughs> I actually uh, use enthusiast on the reg. Like if anyone goes to my um, my Twitter page, they will see in my Twitter bio, it says Oscar Isaac enthusiast, which is <laughs> is true. So yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, uh, just uh, I, I was just want to say thank you, thank you so much for having me on. Um, this is when you when you guys first told me about the uh, project, I was I was super stoked because it's a um, yeah. I, I guess you, you I guess you all both know I am uh, I am a Dune enthusiast <laughs> from, uh, from from way back. I don't know. I guess do you do you guys have like guests talk about their experience with Dune or anything? Or yes, we yep. were actually at first. I want to say like of course we were going to have you on, and of course like you were going to be a part of this because I mean it was always me and Megan and you exchanging all of this right. Dune nonsense and actually like I went back to an old old post like 2014 or something that you'd started in a group that we were in and it was just like Dune foods and you started with, oh yeah like the shout out crepes I saved it I still have screenshots of that conversation with us just like the shy halutafisk and so <laughs> it was yes, awesome it was That's just like amazing. one of the best nights yeah. of my life. So yes, but aside <laughs> from our ridiculous internet nonsense, like how did you get into this series? How did you find your way to this uh, enthusiast, I suppose, uh, tier of fandom? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I was kind of born into it, really. My dad was a, he is an S, he's a science fiction enthusiast from uh, way back I honestly kind of like classically landed in I don't know kind of the perfect time to be a, to have been a science fiction enthusiast he came up in the 50s and 60s this midwestern yeah. boy uh, out in a farm town um and so the way just as a uh to expand his imagination outside of uh Martinsville population 411 um he was a voracious consumer of the science fiction paperbacks in the drugstore rack and oh, yeah um, and then he, you know, he went off to uh, went off to engineering college and built his own stereo to listen to prog rock records. I mean, we're talking, this is you know he, he was he was smack dab in the middle of mid century uh, nerd type stuff. You know, back before even really you know that had congealed into anything really. But um, but I guess the legacy of that is that he had when I was growing up, he had this whole like a bookcase filled with mid century science fiction paperbacks, and mm -hmm. among them was Dune, of course. And um, and I, I realize now, actually, I was, I was thinking about this. My first actual exposure to the Dune universe was when I was maybe eight years old. Mm -hmm. And we had a bunch of my dad was a VHS pirate. We would rent VHS <laughs> videos and, and, and pirate them on the on the super low quality setting. So he could cram as many movies as possible onto a single uh, cassette. <laughs> so we had a cassette that had on it The Empire Strikes Back. Flight of the Navigator and David Lynch's Dune, Good and I had shit. never wow I had I had never made it to Dune. I would watch Empire Strikes Back <laughs> and Flight of the Navigator, but I'd never really made it to Dune. 
And then uh, one day my dad decided like, hey, I want to show you something. This is really, really cool. I want to show you. And he cues up the uh, just kind of the opening, the, the third stage guild navigator scene yeah. of Dune, showing it to his eight year old son because he thinks it's cool. And he was right. He was right, though. Like, I mean, it was, you know, it's just grotesque. And uh, I think honestly, maybe he was going through a David Lynch phase because Twin Peaks was on TV at the time. Oh, sure. um, and he was an avid Twin Peaks watcher. But uh, so, yeah, my first exposure to Dune that I can have any recollection of is my dad showing me this terrifying fish monster in a tank. <laughs> and but just, but still, there's this compelling weirdness to it. I, and I, I was really it really left an impression. And so when I was kind of older and was just absolutely ravaging his bookcase full of science fiction paperbacks, I saw Dune and I was like, I have to read this. And I probably first read it. I mean, I remember reading it on the bus. My dad's old, like 1966 paperback on mm -hmm. the bus uh you know riding to middle school and but what i remember most from that sort of first blush with it is that i spent way more time just pouring over the glossary than anything <laughs> else i could remember i would because i would i would just look over and over the at the end you know the glossary at the end of the book that's the uh, librarian yeah, so in you <laughs> <laughs> exactly we, we always knew what i was going to become um but uh so yeah that's kind of how i got introduced to it and and the and the thing is like i i I love Lynch's Dune. I stand for for Lynch's Dune. I always will. I understand <laughs> its shortcomings. I get it, um, and I and I love Dune like the novel. I've I've read it probably three or four times now. Um, and, but the thing is, until last year, I had never read any of the other uh, Frank Herbert sequels. I'd oh. never gone beyond really? the first novel. Yeah, oh, I, wow. I never had. And it was I was actually it was in conversation with a friend of mine. Who we we had been sharing and like actually like mailing care packages of books back and forth to each other like the little nerds, um, and uh, we got like really stoked and excited about like uh, you know each other's tastes and stuff. And he mentioned just how much he really loved how bonkers the series got. Mm -hmm. And I was like, previous to that, like I think my only attempt at reading further than Dune had been to listen to the Dune Messiah audiobook, mm. and like, and I punched out after the third council meeting scene <laughs> like, i was kind of like uh you know i really got a lot of goodie out of dune i i'm not sure i need to keep this going but he actually inspired me to uh to keep it up and keep going so i, I started reading children of dune uh last year and i and then, so i'm gonna be uh, i'm coming up to god emperor of dune and i'm slightly spoiled because i also uh bought the the dune encyclopedia of course <laughs> and, and so like even as a high schooler i had like gone through and like read all the encyclopedia entries about all this cockamamie stuff to come so but i'm still excited to continue reading but for dune itself though i yeah i'm a i i, I solidly stand i've you know uh, i god i love it there's just it's it's so meaty and so yeah itself you know <laughs> I'm actually shocked, shocked that you have not read God Emperor. <laughs> I know. The thing, the thing is, the thing is, Beth. I, um, God, for for all of my librarian tendencies, I'm not really a completist about series, <laughs> and it's probably the most, uh, I don't know, the most jarring reader habit you'll you'll hear me confess. But yeah, <laughs> we all have our peccadillos. That's true. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be exciting though. Oh, yeah, man. I know. I, I'm kind of actually um, looking forward to experiencing that through your eyes, even though you, you have some insider knowledge of what's going, what's coming, but still, yeah. like, I don't oh, know what like, yeah. anyone I know starts reading it. Like in our um, previous episode, we had Sammy C was saying, you know, this was her first time reading it. She's oh, never yeah. seen the movie. 
She doesn't know anything about <laughs> Dune except for like what you know you absorb through pop culture. But like, yeah. so it, for me, it's just like it's so exciting to experience it through the eyes of someone that has no exposure to it or yeah, very yeah. little. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to keep you guys uh, praised and updated. On <laughs> yeah, my, uh, well, you'll my, have to my come journey. back when you get into God Emperor. We'll have to oh, have yeah. you come uh, back yeah. and, and talk about it, rehash it. I'd love to. Hmm. <laughs> So with that being said, I suppose All we right. should get started and dive yeah. into chapter six. Um, so since uh, audience for the listeners at home, uh, Megan is has been under the weather and is, you know, can't talk too much without having a coughing fit. <laughs> so I'm going to take over most of the chatting. I'm sorry. You're going to have to just deal with my voice. Um, but we'll, we'll go ahead and just jump in with our epigraph this this uh chapter okay how do we approach the study of muadib's father a man of surpassing warmth and surprising coldness was duke leto atreides yet many facts open the way to this duke his abiding love for his Bene Gesserit lady the dreams he held for his son the devotion with which men served him you see him there a man snared by destiny a lone figure with his light dimmed behind the glory of his son. Still, one must ask, what is the son but an extension of the father? From Wadib, Family Commentaries by the Princess Irulan. Irulan. <laughs> yes, Irulan. <laughs> over and over. <laughs> so, uh, we finally, we are still on Caladan. Oh. We are six episodes in. We have not left the planet. Yeah. They should call More this book shit. Caladan. I mean, <laughs> it is a big chunk of these. I feel like a big chunk of the the opening of the book. Well, not a big chunk, just looking at the yeah. pages. But it feels that way because yes. this has been six episodes. Every time, <laughs> it's kind of like the uh, it's like the Hobbiton segment of Lord of the Rings. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get We're kind somewhere. of um, no, no, no. You know, it'll get it'll get exciting when they leave Hobbiton. I swear. Yeah. <laughs> Although I I, I often felt that like I I could do with like a spinoff movie that's just like uh, I don't know just a couple hours just like a slice of life in Hobbiton just hanging out. <laughs> yeah. like, I could go with that. Oh yeah, <laughs> a limited series. Yeah, but anyways, <laughs> enough about that. Enough about some other book we are, we are not oh, talking about because we certainly haven't done that yet. <laughs> no, not at all. This no. is a serious. <laughs> Serious Business Dune podcast. Uh, yeah, this this chapter is mostly, it's Paul talking to his father. That's Who really we finally meet. It. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, the future, future Oscar Isaac. Yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Even I think that the, uh... the very first thing that they say about him is how tall he is. Yeah. Well, Sorry, Oscar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, m movie magic. I think the, um, the, 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 I think the Irulam epigraph, like the first thing I thought like with that is that it, um, it, it really, it sounds a lot like the way people write about Alexander the Great's father, Philip II, um, mm. that, that it, that it was like, ah, yes, his glory dimmed behind the sun, but, oh yeah, but he set everything up for Alexander and all that. That's the, I get the real feeling out, out of, out of that. And I, and I realized that like, I don't know, I probably should have made that connection a lot earlier in my <laughs> Dune reading career. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Paul is in a lot of ways, like based on Alexander. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, 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 that's 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 very that. fair. Like it kind of um, 
you know, the, the young prince takes over a military machine from his father. He has mm-hmm. the se- seemingly invincible emperor is his foe and he defeats him. And also uh, by doing so unites his own culture with that of a, a scary foreign culture and creates a, you know, a, a new vibrant hegemonic culture out of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot there that we have not um yet touched on it especially like when you were getting into like um the the cultures and I believe like Megan sent a link earlier about uh you know is Dune a white savior narrative. Yeah, and yeah. I feel that was like a, that was a really good piece. Yeah. It was, yeah. I, I mean really it, and we kind of talked about this when we were talking about setting up the show because we were like, well how much do we want to get into this but like for me, it's like it is important, I think, to acknowledge those things and say that, yes, possibly. And, you know, from the because a lot of this does steal from like Eastern culture. And I don't mm-hmm. want to say steal, but, you know, heavily borrows well, from Eastern it, it, culture. Yeah, and... draw, draws from, I guess. We could yeah. Say. Yeah. And, and it could definitely be interpreted that way. And I think it's important to like recognize that and acknowledge that, but still kind of, you know, move in and and discuss the sort of the meat of the story while still saying that, you know, possibly, yes, this is unfair. <laughs> well, I think it's always important to, you, you have think even things you enjoy, you can acknowledge their problems. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. You know, it's, it's now sort of a modern cliche to say something's problematic, but you can, mm. I think acknowledging that aspect of anything you enjoy is very important. And that's, I think, where people start to get problems is when, you know, you can't, everything's untouchable. And right. oh, well, right, if you right. say that this is, this has problems, then how can you like it? It's like nothing is that simple. Nothing in this is, world. <laughs> and nothing is sacred, in my opinion. Like, no. Yeah. The, it, oh, that's... Things deserve a deeper look. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's something actually we, we end up talking a lot about on the, on the Cannonball, you know, because that, the art, you know, the whole point of that show there is that we're, you know, going back and reading the, uh, the quote, quote unquote doing doing air scare quotes right now the great <laughs> works of western literature and uh and yeah i mean that's exactly what you encounter it's like yeah these are these are works that will oftentimes have uh you know elements that will rub you the wrong way but also surprisingly have you know especially like say i think don quixote was probably my favorite um that that's a work that was written during the height of basically an ethnic cleansing campaign on the part on the part of the spanish state against uh, jews and muslims within its borders and mm-hmm. you know don quixote has a number of episodes in there that express remarkable sympathy for the plight of people forced out so it's uh, you know but anyway i get that's <laughs> sorry we don't need to be talking about yeah. other books i'm talking about other shows we're here to talk about dude and hey well, Duke Lito mean, just walked in and he's has a commanding presence <laughs> To loop it back to Dune, I mean, you could say that it's a white savior narrative, but at the same time, it's like, it's more of a white tyrant narrative, I feel like, because like, what does Paul save, really? Yeah. Besides himself. (laughs) And what does does Paul accomplish? What does Leto too, like, really accomplish? Like, (laughs) when you start getting into that, that's really when we're going to have have to have you back to talk about the nuances yeah. of the white savior complex because that I would love is to uh, yeah very <laughs> that one yeah. is going to be a, a much deeper dive <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll start uh, I'll start boning up on my post-colonial theory to really uh <laughs> to, I, to really dig in a lot of people like mistake because Paul is the protagonist of this novel that they 
mistake him for a hero and it's just like according to who right like does he i mean is he really a savior point yeah yeah like don't don't have heroes exactly right so anyway what else happens in this chapter (laughs) we hear a lot Um, about chome chome yes chome yes the (laughs) the corporation that basically controls all of it's commerce right all of trade and commerce yes, within the, the known universe yes. i'm gonna read at the combine honet ober advancer mercantiles yeah oh. i love that the snappy german very german <laughs> yeah it's the outer space hunseatic league they're controlling all the all the shipping. Oh, I thought what I thought was also interesting when uh, Duke Leto in the scene they're talking about Chome and he uh, he lists the uh, you know products that you know few products escape oh. Chome touch. The Duke said logs, donkeys, horses, cows, lumber, dung, sharks, whale fur, the most prosaic and the most exotic. And <laughs> just that that one sentence touches on uh, something I think is um, very I think very interesting about Dune and something that it. Um, it kind of, uh, I wouldn't say introduced to science fiction, but is definitely kind of a standard bearer of it. But the, the kind of combining the, quote unquote, the feudal future with this kind of, you know, those aren't high tech products. Those aren't high tech commodities. It's literally, you know, horses and dung, and yet some for some reason this needs to be moved across the galaxy. And who's these sharks? Right, right. Like you know, exactly. Like I guess you know, shark fin soup is a. I guess they, is a, yeah. Uh, a, a, you know a a what a delicacy on uh, on x but you know you can't raise sharks on x but yeah it's but it's it's one of those kind of touches that um that it does a lot for the kind of i guess what you might call tertiary world building that it's not necessarily i mean it's a little bit of clumsy exposition but it's also Mm -hmm. the reader is left to sort of imagine that like okay we have this galaxy spanning civilization with clearly high tech stuff but they're still huh they're still trading in lumber all right And, (laughs) and it's also it's such such a it's always been a, a, a something that's used a lot in fantasy and science fiction that I've always enjoyed, which is when they list off things and there's always the one like here it's the mm-hmm. whale fur, right? right, you know, right. You'll get a book where it's just like oh you know yeah her whole family are farmers and they raise the cows and sheep and griffins and horses, <laughs> right? And, right. You know, it's just like this little <laughs> like oh haha this is taking just place a, in a a dash a world. of fantasy, <laughs> yeah. Whale fur. I need more about that. Like let's. <laughs> yeah. More whale fur. Where is it going? I think Arulin wears a lot of whale fur. Uh, like, yes. She's rich and fancy. And I think that kind of lends itself also to like the the colonist narrative because this the, yeah. this culture is con- mm-hmm. constantly colonizing and terraforming new planets and things like that. So it's just like you know, of course they're going to need like supplies and the basic necessities. But yeah. at the same time, it's just like you know you have this industry that this monopoly that's controlling everything because we can't stop <laughs> colonizing and terraforming yeah. new planets. And it's just, and uh, it's this trope that is in so much sci-fi that I can mm-hmm. think of where planets are only good for one thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, you know, is sort of interesting. It makes sense in terms of the spice, but it's something like when the Duke is talking about, you know, the things that Chome exports, you know, he talks about the rice that they grow on Caladan. 
And mm-hmm. it's just this idea where it's like, well, I guess that could be a really special rice, really tasty. It grows really fast or something. But it's like, how many planets are there? And you, yeah. only one can grow rice. <laughs> and it's sort of like um, Star Wars does that a lot. You know, Star Trek does yeah. that where it's like, this is the planet where we get this. This is the planet where we get that. Like that's not really how planets work. It's not. Yeah, Galactica it's not how... does that too. Yeah, like, I was oh, that just thinking that this planet. You know, you're from. Yeah, it's not how know, it's Gemini not how planets or... work. It's not how planets work, but it is how the emerging, especially at the time that Dune is being written, it is how the emerging, or at least ideally, how the emerging global economy was supposed to work. That there would be this you you would create efficiencies by each country or whatever kind mm-hmm. of like administrative district you're talking about super specializing in one thing and then they could import they could export that and import everything else from all the other places that are super um uh, specializing in a thing of course that has mm-hmm. not uh, you know that hasn't panned out exactly like everyone had hoped <laughs> anyway there's a lot of weaknesses <laughs> and and just profound fragility you know native to that but uh, yeah but yeah you're absolutely right like planets definitely don't work like that but you know, I mean, for the sake of poetic license, I guess we can. Yeah. You know. Which planet is covered in furry whales? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's all. I would love right it now. if there was a planet and that's all there was there. That's the only life form was just furry whales. Like, what do they eat? Other furry whales? Um, I would tell everyone where it comes from, but that information only comes from a prequel. So. Oh, oh no. Not non canon. <laughs> Never mind. Non canon. <laughs> Never know, guys. Du- Deutero <laughs> canon at best. <laughs> Um, so anyway, chapter six, um, Paul asks his dad if it's going to be as dangerous on Arrakis as everyone is saying. And Leto has to, he sort of has to like tamp down this like instinct he has to like give a rousing speech and be like, oh, the glory, you know, because like that's his life. He's a, he's a commander. He, you know, they talk about like his shield belt looks well-worn and things like that. Like he's. He's a man that's, like, comfortable with violence and with sacrifice. But then he has to, like, remind himself, like, this is your son, and you have to tell your son. You can't treat him like like just some cannon fodder. You have to actually tell him the truth. Um, So he he does say, you know, yes, it's going to be dangerous, and you may have to learn how to kill. And, you know, Paul seems way too okay with that. Um he notices also, Paul notices that he is physically unable to tell his father about what he heard the Reverend Mother say to Lady Jessica about, you know, for the father, nothing. He, mm-hmm. it's some kind of, I don't know if it's Bene Gesserit hoodoo, um, but he cannot physically tell his father. Uh, so they talk about Arrakis and Duke Leto, you know, says he knows that they're moving into a trap. And not only like a trap from the Harkonnens, but the Emperor as well. Like the Emperor's on in on it and will be sending in his own Sardaukar troops disguised as Harkonnen or like in Harkonnen livery. Mm. Uh, and they they do a little word play here with the, the planet where the Sardaukar are trained. It's called uh, Salusa Secundus, Secundus. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of like ss thrown around so we're yeah. getting a little <laughs> <laughs> it's uh I, I i see what you did there frank and uh, tip of the hat very yes. subtle <laughs> yes very subtle <laughs> so subtle <laughs> i picked up on it <laughs> um yes the uh the, the emperor's crack troops from the planet not uh, they're gonna <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> it's They're like going to be wearing the same uniforms. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um but the whole to the means to an end, this is all the means to an end because whoever has been mm -hmm. stockpiling the spice melange, like they're going to have be the ones that have political power. Um, you know, who the and this is the thing that everybody knows the line everybody knows from the movie is he who controls the spice controls, controls the, universe. the universe. Yes, yeah. so the, they're in a position to really have some political clout and i suppose to the duke's credit he's thinking like that would be he's gambling for sure but like it if it paid off mm -hmm. like they could become like one of the most powerful family in the known universe yeah and it's it's interesting to sort of think of that like you you mentioned earlier about like the you know paul being the protagonist doesn't necessarily mean that he's a good guy or anything like that mm. and i and i think like leto's motivations here are an excellent window into that because at no point is leto like and then and then that way we could make the imperium a better place or anything like it's, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. never what it's about it's it's no. about like positioning his family to be in the position of the most power and influence and ostensibly i guess mm -hmm. security and safety with that such mm -hmm. power and influence can afford um, but yeah, at no point is just like, ah, and then the, my grand scheme of making everyone more noble shall take place. Like at no point, <laughs> at no point yeah. does he mention anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. That never pops up. Not ever in this series. <laughs> like we're going to make the universe <laughs> better. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and as before the, this chapter ends, it's another pretty short chapter. Before this chapter ends, the Duke kind of drops this big, you know, bomb on his son that says, he, he basically says, you know, we think that you might have Mintat abilities. And Paul says, well, you'd have to be trained from, from birth, from a child to become one. And he's like, yeah, why do you think I've had Thufir, like, as your tutor? Yeah. Since yeah. you were a baby, you dumbass. Put it together, Paul. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, some, some Mintat you are, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Paul, like finally connects the dots and is like oh yeah this seems pretty cool but he kind of gets the feeling that it's not going to work out that way or that it's not like being a mintat like would be awesome but it's not part of his uh quote terrible purpose and that's yeah. kind yeah. of where we leave this episode or this uh chapter <laughs> we also yeah. learn that people don't see members of the guild yes oh right uh, yeah because I, I like it i i kind of feel like this is another of paul's like real teenage moments where he just goes i'm gonna watch our screens and try to see a guildsman <laughs> like i'm gonna yeah. do it <laughs> right. like, no, okay, cool. like no no one ever sees a guildsman's like oh yeah have they been a I'm gonna do it, teenager yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna look and i'm gonna see one and do you think they're weird i mean <laughs> Like, Paul being like that, being kind of a teen, is what endears him to readers, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and you're just like, oh, he's Initially. just a dumb kid. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. oh, sorry. Oh, Go ahead, Megan. No, no my, my other just point is just then the... Uh, Paul Paul asks if, if the Duke knows anything about what the Reverend Mother said, which he can't tell him specifics, but he says, like, mm -hmm. you know, did the Reverend Mother happen to say anything to you? And... Duke Leto basically says, oh, anything that she told you came from your mom because your mom just, you know, 
is giving us warnings because she loves <laughs> us. And it's like, okay, dude, how long have you been with this woman and you're going to act that way? <laughs> and there's not even a thought. It's not like the Duke is thinking, oh, I'm just going to, I don't know what this is about, but I'm going to, you know, just try to comfort Paul. No, he's really just like, oh, yeah. she told us not to go to Arrakis or something. It's just because your mom asked her to tell us, tell you that. It's like, right. what? It's like, you, then... you, like you, would, you, would, you would assume that, you know, that Duke Leto is aware that the Bene Gesserit are a millennia old massive conspiracy. You know, like, <laughs> like you would, you think that they know what they're talking about, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe he's just being a dumb man about stuff. It's like, does that seem like something Jessica would do? Like, she would go to the Reverend Mother and say, yeah. oh, hey, tell me I think son. this is just more like continuing the theme of men not listening to Jessica. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is a theme that will not we will not see the end of anytime soon. Uh, Ever. Absolutely. Not in any book. Because it's yeah. everybody. Yeah. yeah. Full on um, grandkids. Just spoiler alert. Full on grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> uh one thing that jumped out to me sort of reading uh reading it again it's 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 been many years actually since i since i read uh dune so i was uh i was i was pretty you know i was like oh yeah i'll jump back in i've been reading the you know the sequels and whatnot but something that kind of jumps out at me um i'm a i guess you know you guys know this but to the listeners at home um i'm kind of an enthusiast also of the the mid-century um kind of quack pseudo mysticism that Mm. had its big explosion in the 60s and 70s and like the human potential movement and like all kinds of, and, and, you know, and it's deep roots back in these 19th century quasi religious movements. Um, so I'm always on the, like now when I read science fiction from these eras, I'm, I'm picking up on the fact that, and this is one of the, I think one of the most interesting things about reading science fiction from, you know, decades past is that you will pick up on the fact that the author is pulling from the kinds of fads in mm-hmm. pop science of their day and the whole part where, and really the whole idea of the Bene Gesserit using the voice and mm-hmm. the fact that mm-hmm. uh, Paul was unable physically to form the words to tell his father about certain you know, particular things that were said, this is all tied up in the idea of psycholinguistic programming. Is this a term you guys have heard before? Uh, not no. me. Oh yeah, <laughs> Megan's shaking her head. Okay, yeah. This was a kind of, this was a bit of a fad in psychology, in the fringes of psychology, which became picked up in kind of the, you know, like how those things kind of do get, gets picked up in like, you know, mainstream magazines and stuff as like, a, here's a zany new thing that might be real. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the idea behind psycholinguistic programming, well, it's, it's kind of like when that on that episode of The Simpsons, where Lisa orders Homer the weight loss tapes, subliminal weight loss tapes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, 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 idea, the idea was that there would be a, basically that this was also around the time that digital computing is really taking off. And so there was this idea, it was the first sort of flush of the idea that the human mind operates like a computer and therefore the input would be something like, you know, linguistic, you know, lexical content would, could you could consider to be input into the computer so you can program yourself, psycholinguistic programming, and and of course more nefariously program others if you learn how to basically hack the brain code so that you can say the proper things to condition people and program them um which is exactly what the bene Gesserit, you know the voice is you know like mm-hmm. jessica will use it later mm-hmm. to command people you know uh, to command harkonnen soldiers to untie them and you know things like that and so that was kind of like a, it really jumped out at me like i just i mean kind of like Beth said earlier like a little bene Gesserit hoodoo you know, earlier and that's always kind of how i read it when i was you know first reading it but now in my 
in the fullness of my knowledge about quack science of the mid-century i was easily i was like pointing out like oh totally frank herbert definitely read like an article in psychology today in 1963 and thought that yeah. sounded cool and, yeah. <laughs> and threw that in there and that was will, something that kind of jumped out to me yeah i mean i will give herbert this he was very good in pulling from what was happening around him mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely yeah because like, i mean so much of dune is about um, well, it's about states of consciousness, right? I mean, that's that's what yeah. so much of it is about. And that's what so much, you know, was swirling around at the time with, you know, uh, be it with drug use or, you know, cult cult mysticism or what have you, like all about states of consciousness and perception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> now, I I'm, <laughs> now I feel like joining a cult. <laughs> so about you, Megan. Well, <laughs> Yeah, uh, my well, my my uh, my my better half has given me the. Um, she always describes me to people as like I'm never quite sure if he's going to start a cult or join one. <laughs> but she has given me. I I pitched her on a kids show called Bubble Kitties the other day that I was just kind of spitballing, <laughs> and she said it's a million dollar idea, and she gave me permission to start a cult if I actually get this TV show off the ground. So <laughs> look out, guys! You'll you'll be able to join my cults. Uh, you know, pretty soon, as soon as I get a children's cartoon show made. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that is where we're headed with children's cartoons these days. I mean, I, definitely, I will absolutely leave my cult Steven universe, into it. but it seems that that fandoms does seem like a cult to me. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I mean, they do live in a very controlled community on Daniel Tiger. That's oh, that that is also true. Yeah, I get my uh, my my uh, my yeah, my little girl is about at the age where uh, Daniel Tiger is going to start really hitting those synapses so i guess <laughs> I'll, I'll familiarize myself with its ideology see how i yeah, can counter once, once counter program that and read the books and whatnot you start to get like, <laughs> why, why do you have a king like uh-huh exactly. any other people in this town <laughs> exactly <laughs> there's a the there's craft? a there's a wonderful um uh board book that uh i got as a gift from um one of my relatives when when my daughter was born that's called a is for activist and it completely rules, um, and it does include the entry for K is about knights and kings, about how that's fine for playing pretend, but we let the people decide in our society. That's <laughs> like, like, that is absolutely right. We need some counter propaganda to all this king and queen and princess stuff. Absolutely. As someone that doesn't have children, I would buy those books for my friend's kids for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that they exist. There needs to be something a little more grounded in reality yeah yeah totally totally i mean i write romance but at the same time it's just like <laughs> you know that this i mean real life can be a love story but at the same time like you know a lot of this is fantasy right <laughs> don't take it so seriously i was i was just telling my husband earlier actually because i was reading uh, a romance novel and there was a scene where a character who was in fact actually a duke they're always dukes um yes mm-hmm was it's, uh, it's, that's the sexiest level of nobility by somebody and the the ability to be able to just be like i don't want to hear this and <laughs> you can go over there and the other person having to listen because this is the duke talking to him where i was like i mm-hmm. wouldn't want that in real life but it's really cool to read someone because you're just like yeah, that's right go over there you got duped. that's right you got you got duped you got letoed <laughs> you gotta go over there now just out of curiosity and which book was it the duchess war oh Courtney Milan yeah good choice yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, nobody knows that better than Courtney Milan that there aren't as many dukes. There were never so many dukes as what you would think from reading romance. But there's so many. Everyone's a duke. I'm like, there were not, that would not maintain. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe it's all like, I kind of think about this with like fairy tales. Like when I was a kid, I always wondered like, how the heck can there be so many princesses if there's only like one king or whatever? Mm. But now I realize that uh, fairy tales are like the main cultural memory that our society has of the Holy Roman Empire. Where there really literally were like 300 tiny distinct like principalities and dukedoms and prince, prince bishoprics and stuff and mm, you know yeah yeah, yeah. it's like oh yeah we're getting really random like anne of cleves where it was like you're from where <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i also think a lot about like um russia before the revolution mm-hmm. when you know princess was a an honorific yeah in a lot of circles like you didn't ne- that didn't necessarily mean that you were the daughter of the yeah. king yeah, you can yeah. be the sister or the cousin or the aunt. Right. Or the, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, any more thoughts on chapter six, on this chapter, before we wrap it up? Um, I wish we got more of the Duke. I mean, spoiler, yeah. sorry. Welcome to our spoiler <laughs> cast of Dune. Um, I don't know if you've ever met a dad in this kind of story before, but yeah. um, he's not long for this worlds uh, <laughs> and he does seem really nice mm-hmm. like that's the thing he does seem kind of great you know i mean he seems like he's a really good leader people respect him he loves jessica he's not particularly good at everything but as a person mm-hmm. i feel like we're gonna have we're gonna really talk about this more in upcoming chapters because yeah. there are some stuff kind of like with his dad mm-hmm. that yeah. they kind of get into that i'm like mm, yeah, I don't think I'd like to be married to this dude. <laughs> so we'll well, we'll just see. Convenient. We'll we'll talk. <laughs> we'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah, I'm just I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying here. No, cause... but I mean, it is kind of like he is painted as this sort of like tragic hero, and, and mm-hmm. you know, in in later chapters we'll get into it more. But you know, he does his actions do speak a lot towards you know his innate goodness and he does have an innate goodness i feel like mm-hmm. he yeah. just also you know the mixture of like warmth and cold like i feel like we see a lot more of the coldness than we do yeah. the warmth but yeah. mm-hmm. you know his actions do speak to him having like a genuine like goodness in him yeah well i, th- I think yeah, yeah i think you're right that the the contrast between the hot and cold i, I think in the character of the duke kind of lands on the f- it 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 the fulcrum of it, it, it pivots on, I think, is his class position, basically, mm-hmm. that he's yeah. he's necessarily, because of the nature of his what, profession, his line of work, just the nature right. of, of who yeah. he is and how of the society life. operates and of his life, it, it necessitates a calculating personality because otherwise you do yeah. not last yeah. long in the Lansrad. You do not make it without having to make some, you know, do some cold calculus. And yeah, like how far does that extend into your actual interpersonal relations? I, I think the, uh, you know, one, one thing about like, you know, this is, you know, Frank Herbert is introducing Duke Leto, basically. This is the first glimpse that, you know, we get of him through the kind of point of view of Paul and the their whole interaction is based all around them talking about the high politics of their situation. It's not a very mm-hmm. personal interaction. There, there are personal elements to it. I mean, it's clear that Leto is concerned for his son's safety, that they that they know and trust mm-hmm. each other. Like that all comes through. But the, at the but you know at the same time, it's there's still you know 
they're not talking to each other about each other. They're talking to each other about yeah. their politics that's happening. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so that's something that I think, you know, whether that's intentional on the part of Mr. Herbert or not, I think that definitely tends toward the, well, maybe it is intentional because he, you know, he includes the fictional epigraph from Irulan calling him a cold man. So, you know, mm -hmm. that, that kind of, yeah. that kind of coldness, that kind of detachment, but it's a detachment born of concern to preserve his family mm -hmm. position and safety for his, you know, for his son, whom he, he clearly loves, but you know, he's still got to, you know, like, I'd love to ask you about, you know, uh, Balasset practice, but uh, we got to talk about the Harkonnens, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he, he changes up what he was going to say because he stops and mm -hmm. considers that it's his son. But yeah. then later when he does think, I would really love to not be having this conversation with my teenage son about how he's going to have to learn to kill. He doesn't say that to Paul. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, he doesn't stop and say, look, buddy, I wish we weren't having this conversation, but we have to. He just is yeah. like, nope got to do it yeah. and the only time that parental love is mentioned it's oh isn't it cute your mom loves us right <laughs> those, those silly women it's adorable those silly ladies. women with their concern for well-being women of with others. their love yeah sure sure <laughs> which i i which is hilarious a in jessica a fan but she's also not like right i mean she's a bene Gesserit, <laughs> and yeah Let's talk about how much the Bene Gesserit love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's another conversation. Um, yeah. So that was chapter six. And uh, moving on, we have a letter from a listener. I'm oh, so excited cool. because our show just dropped. Um, this is, you know, going to be a few, quite a while after the first episode dropped, but our first episode's just dropped on Friday and we already got mail and I'm so so excited to read it. That's fantastic. So um yeah, I'm and yeah. this is international mail all the way from Spain. Holy cow, uh, look at it, man. Yes. Oh, you guys <laughs> see look at that. You guys are already establishing <laughs> global connections with this podcast. This is amazing. I love it. Well, we hope so. We we hope so. <laughs> and this letter comes from Gabriel in Spain and he says, First of all, I am really, really enjoying the podcast. Thank you for that emphasis. You are doing a great job, so keep up the great work. Thank you. I grew up with Star Wars. It was an important part of my childhood and teenage years, although by the time I was 17 or so, I wanted to dive into other science fiction universes. I discovered Dune by chance, which is how it happens so often, mm -hmm. <laughs> when Googling for sci-fi books, and it immediately caught my attention, so I decided to buy it. At first, I wasn't expecting much from it, since the idea of yet another desert planet after years of hearing about Tatooine didn't thrill me. Hmm, yeah. In the end, I was blown away by the world, the story, the characters, so I decided to buy the second, which for me was the hardest to get the meaning out of, and then the other four. I loved all of them. I agree with what you said in the first podcast. The last two books are different. Reading them was strange at first, but they are enjoyable nevertheless. Bless the makers and Yay, greetings from oh, Spain. Thank you. So wow, that's thank fantastic. you. I thank know. you so much <laughs> for yes, that letter, do. Gabriel. We love it. And yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a pretty common thing that people are like, yeah. oh, another desert planet, but not realizing mm. that Dune came first. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like the internet is really on 
a mish a jihad if you will to try <laughs> to correct that misconception that uh you know dune came first star wars repeat the, what i said uh, i believe i mentioned this in the first episode where that was the same thing with my, my husband when the, the movie john carter came out was you know people going like oh it's just so oh, weird yeah. like star wars ripoff he's running around you now going no no like <laughs> Like Burroughs novel going, no, 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 no. people. Yes, during the First World War, you fools. Yeah, I, I personally am really looking forward to um, all manner of internet nerds um, getting upset about how um, Dune stole the idea of an Imperium that uses, uh, like, dog Latin from Warhammer. I mean, there's going to be, there's just a lot that I... I can feel the storm building, like, when this movie yeah. comes out. And, you know, I feel like Dune is going to be in, you know, like, people are going to be talking about it that are not currently part of the conversation. And I feel like mm -hmm. this is just something that we have to know is going to happen, that there's going to be a lot of, like, yeah. oh, it's like a Star Wars ripoff, or oh, it's like, you know, this other movie. <laughs> it, and just be calm. It's okay, people. <laughs> Internet, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to lose your mind over this. It's really, it's cool. Like, it's nothing is going, This these books aren't going to go away because other people find them derivative. Yeah. Look, the, the, look, Dune yeah. has survived Brian Herbert. Yeah. It, can, it can survive it can weather the storm. a movie adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> and And to be fair, I've only seen one sort of posting where someone was sort of trying to broach the subject of are people concerned that you know this movie's going to come out and there's going to basically be you know fake fans like just movie fans and they were pretty pretty shut down yeah, yeah. like i will say that the response was basically like i Not mean really uh, no like i would hope they'd read the book yeah, yeah. You know? well and also, but also I, would, like, I mean who cares like is my uh, thing. yes thank you for that was exactly what that. i was gonna say does this diminish your your enjoyment of the book at all i mean i feel like Okay, coming from my background and what I do, like we, <laughs> this discussion happens all the time around the 2005 adaptation of Pride and Prejudice in hmm. Austin circles. I'll just get yeah. into this. Like there is a whole slew of people that will not stop shitting on that movie. And at the same time, it's like, do you know how many people are now reading those books because of that movie like shut up just leave it alone yeah. is it it's not, has it diminished your enjoyment of the original stories at all then just let it be yes when i try to read pride and prejudice now kira knightley appears and right. she hits me i mean <laughs> that is the dream and I, always, I always have to wonder i always have to wonder when someone does get upset about it it's like like how i wonder about how how have you been enjoying it whereby this diminishes your enjoyment yeah. of it? Yeah. You know, like what, what possible mechanism is there for that? And, you know, I, I, the only thing I can come up with is that like, you, well, you don't actually enjoy it for the, the, the subjective you affect you like experience while to have something it. over. You seem people. to enjoy the cachet. Yeah. Right. You seem to enjoy just the cachet of having had read it. Exactly. Which, you know, foe out of here. I say to that. And like what, what cachet is that exactly? Because and where where why haven't I gotten any of it? Yeah, I mean that would make you the fake fan, in this case. Exactly, precisely. If, if you're the one that's uh -huh. getting your knickers twisted up because people enjoy a movie that does not is not necessarily faithful to the source material, then I I say to you, who cares? 
If you don't, you know, if, if this was all just so you could just cross your arms over your chest and point at the screen and be like, this isn't what I signed up for, then, you know, go somewhere else. Nobody cares. Yeah. Who's who's signing you up? Nobody's signing. There's no sign yeah. sheet. Get out of here. I mean, I will. I will confess that in like the year 1995, I did get mad at a friend of mine because she did not know that the Nirvana cover of The Man Who Sold the World was a cover. Of David Bowie, um, yeah. And, and I got very agitated with her. But, you know, I mean, it was there, the 90s. There I was are wearing exceptions flannel. to every rule, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we can make a few exceptions, Megan. <laughs> I'm just going to say, yeah. I was gatekeeping and I acknowledge it. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, please stop with the fake fan shit. <laughs> please stop it. Yeah, it's like people are hopefully going to see this movie mm-hmm. and... They're hopefully going to then read the books. Yeah, that's that's always what we want. Or maybe before they go see the movie, because they'll want to know. And yeah, there's. I think one of the things that has irritated me the most, and this is just my own one of my own personal things, is that I have seen people who are already just like, oh no, people are just going to want to see it because of Timothy Chalamet. And mm-hmm. it's like I know what you're saying, and what you're saying is girls. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I hate to break it to you. But Girls we've been here. like science fiction. Uh, yeah. Yeah, hello. <laughs> so here we are. Um, and and if they want to watch it because an actor that they think is attractive is in it, okay. If nothing yep. else, look at it this way. They are paying money. And if it makes money, they'll make more movies. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Okay, so you're going to be in the theater next to a couple of people who really liked Call Me By Your Name. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, personally, I I, uh, I can't wait for these guys to really blow the whistle on Hollywood's practice of hiring attractive people for movies. I, yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> That's never. This, I am this, shocked. This, this, shocked. This scam has been going on for too I long. Mean, we got to shut it I don't down. Know they specifically say saw... that Gurney is ugly in the text, and I will argue that Josh Brolin is not ugly. No, I mean, I don't think he's a particularly <laughs> great actor, but he is not ugly. But that's just my beef with Josh Brolin. He knows what he did. (laughs) (laughs) So um, as I have, as we've been saying from the beginning, from the inception, if you will, of the show, we want to see your covers of Dune. We want to see your copies. Show us your Dunes. Hashtag send Dune. So uh, this week, my favorite cover comes from Charlie at Charlie Maycorn on Twitter and it is like the original, like the blue, sort of blue and tan sort of uh, cover. Very, mm-hmm. very worn. Part of it's missing. So that is a <laughs> hey, well Charlie. loved. Thanks, Charlie. I'll tell you what. Um, I'll tell you what I, I should actually do with that is my part of my my father's amazing mid-century science fiction legacy is a. He has a ton of old science fiction pulp magazines. He has a complete run of analog science fiction from 1969 oh, wow. to the present. Oh my gosh! Um, so does he have <laughs> he has actually a bunch of, the original uh, like chapters that were published in the ma- in magazines? That's that's what I'm going to look into. I'm going to see if he if he if he has any of those. Now that was a little before he got the subscription that he has maintained for 40 years. So that ha- that delivers unto me this amazing collection um but i'm certain that he was you know picking up them on the newsstand here and there so i'm gonna i'm gonna have a look at dad's old magazine stacks and see if he has the 
yeah, the the serialized uh, oh novel gosh. copies, which is which is a which is a fascinating thing about science fiction history, y'all. I don't know if uh, the listeners know this, but many, many, many of the quote unquote sort of great classics of mid century science fiction have their origins as being just like short stories that the author would crank out for the pulps that they would then what's called a fix up which is when you take them and add a little bit of connective tissue to make a novel. That's what uh, Foundation, most famously, is. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you actually sit down and read Foundation, you might notice that it seems very disconnected and episodic. <laughs> well, that's, there's a reason for that. But yeah, I'm going to see if I can find I'm going to see if Dad has those uh, those magazines. That would be how cool. are, I'm going to put my professional hat on for just a second and ask how these are stored. They are stored in not any... I mean, they're climate controlled to the extent that my dad's house lower floor is climate controlled. Um, so it's not ideally, but uh, they have been kept at basically room temperature in comfortable humidity for their lifetime. All right. So, yeah, they're, they're, in, they're in fairly good shape. Yeah, no, that's, uh, it's that's not, the not best main line you can you can ask for. Yeah. I'm. I'm a really cool person, guys. <laughs> well, I knew that we would get into some librarian shop talk. <laughs> and I'm sure it will be the last time. <laughs> so, um, Daniel, would you like to plug your show? Oh, sure. So, um, yeah, I guess you mentioned before, I am the co-host of The Cannonball. That's uh, C-A-N-O-N. Um, Cannonball with uh, my co-host, the esteemed Dr. Claude Myron Guzer, who is an actual English professor. He I am is, merely a uh, his. Uh, let me tell you, I did, did a guest spot on his the early version of this show, and his mind. And he was yeah. on a, a podcast I had years ago, but his mind, just the way it works, like I am constantly astonished by how the deep well <laughs> of knowledge that yeah. uh, Dr. Goose is pulling from there. Yeah, so we have our, our project is uh, with the with the educated um, Dr. Goozer and me, an enthusiastic sidekick. <laughs> um, we are we are reading through the um, basically the list Howard Bl- noted noted crank and literary critic um, uh, Harold Bloom's uh, list of the Western canon, kind of the great books of, uh, you know, quote unquote, Western civilization. And uh, just sort of going through and reading them for ourselves, reading them as readers, you know, it's it's picking it up and just reading it as a book, but also kind of talking about their place in canon. What is canon anyway? What are the limitations of that idea? Um, but it's a really great project. We've read through things like, and honestly, this is the first time for me that I've actually read through a lot of these things. Like we've done uh, Canterbury Tales. We've done uh, Dante's uh, Divine Comedy, all three books, mm-hmm. Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso. That was probably one of my favorites. We had Don Quixote, which was just spectacular. I loved reading that one. So, um, yeah, I mean, if that sounds interesting to y'all, uh, y'all, y'all out there in, in weirding land to <laughs> listen to a couple guys. Uh, and we have you know guests on from time to time, expert guests, to sort of give us some background on, say, French theater in the 16th century and stuff like that. We read Moliere, you know. Um, it's a really cool project. I'm, I'm learning a lot. I'm learning to appreciate a lot of stuff. And, you know, what's really great is you can also read some of these, you know, great classics and say, it wasn't very good. <laughs> you know, you have that freedom. You can say yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So check out, uh, the cannonball. We, we, we'd love, you know, any, anyone bookish, I think would find something to enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So thank you so much for joining us yes, this week. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. This was this was an absolute yeah. blast. I can't wait to uh, listen to the rest of y'all's episodes going through Dune, and hopefully I'll. Be yes, back. we would yes. love to have you back on. If you if you come across a particular chapter or section that you really like, really want to talk about with us, let us know, and we <laughs> yeah. would love to have you back on anytime. Um, and you, the listeners at home, we'd love to hear about you and your experiences reading Dune. You can reach us on Twitter at WeirdingPod or at WeirdingPodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to show us your covers and fan art. We love that later too, fan art. With yes, hashtag SendDunes. <laughs> that wraps it up for this week. Megan, thank you. Daniel, thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. And that is where I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs>